Good morning. Happy spring forward. Welcome to your missing an hour of sleep. Where did it go? Uh, But so glad to be with you and to open the scriptures with you this morning. When I was in the fifth grade, I moved as, if you've been around, you've heard that that happened pretty frequently in my growing up. We moved quite a bit. And uh, in the fifth grade, I was entering a new school. We were now living in the Northeast in Connecticut. And I was, before the first day of school, I had some nervousness as any fifth grader before first day of school might, but in particular wondering, okay, in this part of the country, at this school, are the things that were previously cool still cool, and am I going to be welcomed, and am I going to make friends, all these sorts of questions. And so I made a decision, whether conscious or subconscious, I'm not fully sure, but that my play was going to be the aggressive play, that I was going to let everybody know how great I was. Because I felt like that was the way I was going to find my way into uh, to being welcomed in this place. And so I slipped into conversation several times with everyone. How cool I was. How many friends I had at the last school. How good I was at sports. And when we get to the playground, you should really pick me first. You know, I was really sliding all that in. And, uh, and apparently, that sort of thing doesn't work that well. You know, trying to get everybody to agree with you as to how great you are, it, it turns out isn't super effective. And uh, I started to learn a lesson at 10 that 25 years later, um, 27 years later, I'm kind of, kind of curving a little bit, 27 years later, I'm still trying to, still trying to learn the same lessons. That there's a certain sense in which, in the flesh, I just believe that if I can if I can get you thinking I'm great by whatever means necessary, then, then I'm going to feel better about things, that pride is going to secure what I really want. And in actuality, the brilliance of the one that we call our Lord and King, the brilliance of Jesus is displayed in so many ways, but certainly in the ways that he knew from the beginning and he has shown throughout his life that humility is the path towards blessing and towards, towards exaltation, towards actually experiencing all that the human experience is intended to be. And so this morning, as we labor to follow along in the footsteps of our king and trying to pay attention to this lesson that we learn and we learn and we learn again, we're going to examine the baptism of Jesus. And as we do, this is what we're going to learn. That that if we would be a people that humbly submit to God's calling, like humbly submit, not making it about us, not thinking about ourselves, but forgetting ourselves in favor of considering and being fascinated with and committed to his calling. If we humbly submit to God's calling, we will unlock Trinitarian celebration. We will experience the eruption of divine delight in our lives. Like God's pleasure meets the one that humbly submits to his calling. And so the way that we're going to do this, we're going to explore this baptism of Jesus that we just read in Matthew chapter 3. And as we do, we're going to try to make sense of what did the humble submission look like in this, in this moment, and what does it look like for us, and then, let's talk, and then we'll talk about what does it look like for the divine exaltation, for the Trinitarian celebration in this moment, and what it looks like for us to taste that even still today. So if you would direct your attention with me to the text, let's first talk about humbly submitting to God's calling. We're going to see this 
imaged, displayed by Jesus, but also by John the Baptist. So the two primary actors in our text today are displaying for us what it looks like to humbly submit to God's calling. Let's look in verses 13 through 15. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. So if, if we had read straight through in Matthew so far, what we would realize is that Jesus had been kind of hiding out in Galilee. He's been anonymous, living in this small town, and now he is coming out of Galilee, and he's coming to John at the Jordan to be initiated in his ministry. And you also got, you got introduced to John last week, if you were with us. John is pretty famous. He's got it going on. He's got a pretty significant platform. His birth was heralded by angels. There are lots of high hopes about this one John who's out in the wilderness, kind of in the, in the model of Elijah, wearing camel's hair and eating locusts. He's wild-eyed, and people are going, what is this prophet? So here he is, all of this hope surrounding him, and Jesus is now leaving anonymity, coming to John, and this is what happens. It says, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, saying, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Well, we see a beautiful picture of two men humbly submitting to God's calling. The first is John the Baptist. John, with all of this platform, all of this fame, this growing following, when Jesus comes to him, he very quickly tries to prevent Jesus. Did you see that word? He, preve he tried to prevent him. And then also says that, I need you to baptize me. He declares his need. He actually says, I'm in need of what you have, Jesus. I don't, I don't have anything you need from me. I need everything that you have to give to me. And then ultimately, it says that he consented. One thing that gets lost from the original language is that when Jesus says, let it be so for now, he actually, he, the, the actual word, he's, he says, permit it, permit it. And then when it says that John consented, it's actually the exact same verb. So that gets lost in the English. But in essence, Jesus says, permit it, and so John permits it. In essence, John is looking at Jesus and going, I'm not good enough for this. I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, I want you to humbly submit to my word, do what I'm asking. And so he does it. You know, the first note about humbly submitting to God's calling is that when you humbly submit, sometimes God's calling you to step up. It doesn't, doesn't initially strike us. You think that, you know, if John's really humble, he's going to backtrack from the limelight. He's not going to step in. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. You're about to do something no other human being is ever going to have the opportunity to do. You're going to minister to God. Like you actually are going to baptize and initiate my ministry publicly. This is a high calling for John, but it requires humility for him to step into it. Because if he were thinking about himself, if he was so focused on himself, well, I certainly can't do that. But he responds humbly to Jesus' calling and he steps into this space. You see, we, we need a greater dose of self-forgetfulness if we're going to step up into God's calling on our life frequently. I'd love for you to consider where right now God might be calling you into something. He might be calling you into a space of leadership, boldness, courage, leveraging your gifts at work or in the life of our family here in the church. And you're going, well, no, I don't know. I'm not sure that it's me. And you think that that's a really humble act to sidestep that opportunity or that responsibility. But God would say, no, no, you're just thinking about yourself a lot, which is actually quite prideful. And that 
there are times where humble submission is stepping out and going, I'm actually stepping up into a role or a position or an opportunity because of my willingness to submit to the call of Jesus on my life. You see, John humbly submits to Jesus' word and steps up into this position. He gets to do something really profound in this moment. Jesus, on the other hand, is displaying for us what humble submission looks like as well, but his is being laid low. Have you ever considered why is Jesus baptized? That should be a thorn in our brain at first reading. We should go, wait a second. What we've read about this baptism last week in the previous passage is that this is the baptism of repentance. Now, this, this is not the first kind of series of baptisms that happened in history. There were other leaders other than John the Baptist that also were baptizing people. But baptism previously was a mark for someone that was not Jewish, that was becoming Jewish. It was one of the ways publicly that they displayed, I'm aligning with the covenant people of God. What's interesting about John and what's different than everyone else who is baptized is that he's baptizing people that are already Jewish. Why are they getting baptized? It's a baptism of repentance. They're coming in brokenness and humility and saying like, I want to be cleansed from the inside out. I want to declare that I need more of God. I need his cleansing. So this is a humble posture for everyone that's entering the water saying, I'm a sinner in need. So why does Jesus get baptized? He is not a sinner in need. If ever there were someone that could stand on the shores and watch people getting baptized and say, nah, I'm, I'm good. It was Jesus. He didn't need to do that. In part, for me, as I've been meditating on this week, it reminded me of my high school cross-country team. I ran in high school, and I had two coaches. And I, I, let me explain them to you. You could probably guess there was one that I loved to, to follow their direction. There was one that I was not as excited about. So coach number one, he was a PE teacher that was looking for some supplementary income. And when no one else raised their hand, because who really wants to coach cross country, he said, I'll do it, you know? And so he, he showed up. Now, great guy, nice guy, pot belly. I don't know that he'd ever run three miles simultaneously, you know? And he took the job. He'd show up at practice. He'd tell us, all right, you're going to run 40 hills and then you're going to run five miles. You're going to do this thing. And then he'd just stand there, hands on belly, and we'd be coming around and going up the hill again. You're dropping off the pace. Keep it up. And you're like, oh, man, come on, coach. But meanwhile, I kept showing up, and I stayed motivated because there was another coach. His name was Coach Heath. He wasn't paid to be there. He didn't work for the school. He had a son that went to high school, and that son didn't even run cross country. But Coach Heath ran Division I uh, track and cross country, he had run 200 marathons. He was about 60 years old, gray hair. He, you would look at him and think, this guy's got to be old and tired. He still doesn't have it. He would go and he'd run the workouts with us. And even though he was kind of shuffling along, somehow he stayed out front the whole time. So here I am, 17, 18 years old, shape of my life. I am just drenched in sweat, giving it all I got. And Coach Heath, when we get to the final hills, he'd turn around backwards and be like, all right, come on, we got this. I'm like, who is this guy? But it was him showing up. He was only there for love of what we were called to do and for commitment to us. He wasn't paid. He had no reason to be there. And he totally identified with us. He was like, I'm in. And it made me show up at practice ready to give it all that I had. 
When Jesus enters the waters of baptism, it's a picture like Coach Heath. If anyone could stand on the shores and say, no, I'm good, it's him. He could stand and say, you're dropping off pace, pick it up. But he doesn't. He says, I'm in so holy. I identify so completely with you. And his ministry is initiated down in the waters, surrounded by sinners. That's how Jesus starts his ministry, because what he is displaying to the world is this is what God is like. This is what he's come for. He is humbly submitting to the call of God. You see, the invitation for you and me is the same, that what we see modeled in John the Baptist, what we see modeled in Jesus, is also what we are called to throughout the whole of the New Testament, to humbly submit to God's call, to experience this reality of being laid low. For some of you, the most pointed and simple application has to do with baptism itself. If you haven't been baptized, but you have been around the community, you're beginning to lean in, you're beginning to trust Jesus at a heart level, this is an invitation to humble submission. Because if we're honest, baptism is humbling. Like to stand up in front of a community and say, I'm needy, I'm a sinner, I cannot rescue myself, I needed someone to come from the outside to deliver me. This is a humbling work. And then physically, the act itself, being plunged into the waters, in your clothes, in front of your communion, going like, I am drenched head to toe. Like there's, there's just kind of like a humbling act to it. And in this text where we see Jesus modeling entering the waters of baptism, I just want to say that if you have, have yet to, to obey the call of Jesus in your life in that way, I'd encourage you to consider to humbly submit to respond wholeheartedly to Jesus, trusting in him and entering the waters of baptism. Although it may be that there's other areas where God's inviting you to take the plunge. Maybe you have, you have been physically baptized, but he's inviting you to consider what does it look like to humbly submit to his call in every area of your life? Either to step up or to be laid low, but whatever it is to forget yourself a bit more. I got to speak a couple of weeks ago at a, at a youth conference, and uh, it, was, it was a really fun experience. I actually got to take one of my boys on Friday night and one of my boys on Saturday night to go with me, and it was a group of middle school and high school students, and it was kind of a, it was quite a production. There was a, a DJ that opened up for about 30 minutes, and they dropped the beat, and boom, 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 and everybody's, you know, like, jump in, and, and, uh, and there was a magician there and a band from Nashville, and lights and fog, and... Uh, as you can tell, it's kind of like my jam. Um, you know, they, they rapped on this opening thing, and then the lights would go down, and I'd get up to preach, you know, and it was like, uh, it's a little self-conscious. It's like, man, my shoes are not nearly as cool as those guys, and I started feeling a little bit like that fifth grader all over again, and, and it was funny. Like, my boys is totally self-forgetful in the sense that they loved it. I mean, when DJ Overcomer's going, man, they're jumping, their hands are up. They're like, DJ Overcomer's awesome. And I was kind of like, and the whole time thinking, like, what are people thinking of me? The speaker, like, am I supposed to do, am I, am I, do I jump, do I not jump? What do these kids think about me? And I realized I spent an hour and 20 minutes before preaching thinking about myself. And like, my jeans are not very cool. They're not going to like my shoes. What are these kids going to think of me? <laughs> I'm 27 years removed, but I'm still the same fifth grader, just hoping everybody will approve of me, you know? And I realized that there's so much of life 
where like there's this opportunity to dance and to be in the midst of it and to experience it, but we're standing somewhere off to the side going, no, I'm good. Because to really plunge in is just going to be a little bit embarrassing. It may be that for you, it's that invitation to really step into community wholeheartedly and say like, I'm not going to keep pretending and posturing. I'm actually going to confess my sin and my need. And I'm going to be somewhat exposed in front of this group of people because I actually believe that there's value and beauty in submitting humbly to God's call in that way. But some of us go, no, nah, I'm good. That just feels like a little, a little much. Or being called into some area of mission in your life right now to be bold and courageous in the way that you step out with that person at work or on your block. And, and it requires a great deal of humility and like to stop thinking about if my genes are cool enough. <laughs> to stop thinking about whatever that thing is in your head that's robbing you of just the ability to like be fully present and experience what God has in this moment. Self-forgetfulness, humbly submitting to God's hand. It's like a key that unlocks a door. And the beauty that this text is revealing for us is this, that when we, when we operate in self-forgetfulness, when we step into a space and we don't just stay in our head, but we take the plunge, we, 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 whatever it is that God's calling us to, whatever that verb is that he's named, we want our verb to mirror it like John the Baptist does. Like when we live like that, the key goes into the door and what's on the other side of the door is divine delight. Like the presence and blessing of God, what we have called this morning Trinitarian celebration. Because when Jesus goes down into the waters, what I want us to see in the conclusion of this passage in verse 16 and 17, that as he and John together meet one another in humility, God's presence and power is displayed in beautiful ways. Look at it in verse 16 and 17 with me. It says this, when Jesus was baptized, immediately... If you're into this sort of thing in your Bible, I would underline immediately because what, what Matthew is making clear is that this act is directly linked to what you're about to read. He was taken down into the waters and immediately as he was coming up from the water, behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the second one, right? You get the double behold. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That the humble submission to God's call for John and Jesus in this moment and Jesus fully submitting to the call of the father in heaven, the skies are opened and you and I get to experience, we get to capture this little beautiful image of Trinitarian celebration. Did you hear it? The Holy Spirit falls the first mark of a Trinitarian celebration in our humility is that the Holy Spirit, he falls. It says he descended like a dove, gentle and gracious like a dove. And did you see the verb? It says that he rests on Jesus. The connotation is staying with him on him, that Jesus is initiating his public ministry and he is now clothed with power, prepared to do all that God the Father is going to call him to, into in the world. The Holy Spirit is with him. You see, and it's not just Jesus that in his humble submission experiences the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The same is true for us. 
That after his death and resurrection and the birth of the church, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, he stands and he and his buddies are announcing, they're announcing the glorious works of God and people's hearts are cut and they say, what must we do to be saved? And you might remember that Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the reception of the Holy Spirit. That when he's calling them to humble submission to the call of God, he's saying, repent, admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus actually died for you and has conquered your sin. He laid it in a grave, and as you do, humbly submit in the waters of baptism, and what you will receive is forgiveness of your sins and a filling of the Holy Spirit. And what you find is that the Holy Spirit comes as as almost like a a bosom buddy with the waters of baptism throughout the New Testament. And it's not that baptism is some magical thing. It's that someone is humbly submitting to the hand of God. And what God does in that place is he pours out his Holy Spirit. One of the ways we know that to be true, you could look at a place like Galatians 5. Galatians 5, Paul is writing to the church about what it looks like to live with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he says, keep in step with the Spirit, which requires that you repent of the works of the flesh. And right in the middle of it, he says, do not be conceited. Like in humility, stay submitted to the work of the Spirit, and you will walk in the power of God. The first thing that we have to realize about this Trinitarian celebration is that the Holy Spirit loves to fill low places. Your self-forgetfulness and your humility paves the way for God's power and presence to be with you in a real way. You see, the Spirit falls, He clothes, He empowers in this way. It's, it's as if this gentle dove, just to imagine a gentle dove alighting, sitting, but our chest-thumping pride causes that dove to, to kind of fly away. Not that we lose our salvation, but the clothing with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes as we're humbly submitting to God in a progressive way, right? But that's not all. There were two beholds. Did you hear the second one? Behold, a dove coming. Behold, a voice. What did the voice say? Did you hear it in there? Verse 17, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased We have the Spirit falling. We have the voice of the Father speaking. You know, this is not the only time that the Father speaks from heaven over the Son. Does anybody remember the other time in the Scriptures? This can be interactive. Anybody remember? Yeah. Nailed it. The transfiguration. The transfiguration, Jesus is displayed in all of his glory and and, uh, Elijah and Moses are there with him on the top of the mountain. Peter kind of sticks his foot in the mouth by saying, hey, we should pitch a tent for each of you guys so we can all hang out here as if Jesus is like Moses and Elijah. And as Peter is speaking, he actually gets interrupted. It's, it's, it's lovely to read the text because it's as he's speaking, a voice from heaven speaks over him. <laughs> and you know what he says? You know what the Father says at the transfiguration? The exact same thing. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And then he tacks on at the end, listen to him. Now, what's the point? Isn't it interesting? Jesus was talking to his father throughout his whole ministry. He loved to go out into the wilderness or up on the mountain or out by the lake by himself to hear from the father. But there's two times where we get to overhear as the father speaks to the son. And interestingly, he's saying the exact same thing you get the sense that this is what the Father was always saying to the Son. 
you delight me. Like, I'm so well pleased with you, and you delight me at the core of who I am. This is what the Father says to the Son. If I could, just, just two notes on this. One, fathers in the room, would you please, would you please, by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, would you please take your cues for parenting from God? That when we get to hear him speaking to his son, what he is saying is, oh, I delight in you. Like, you delight me. You, I cherish these moments. That's what the father says to the son perpetually. I long, like we have all of these little ones that are being raised up in Seven Mile Road, and I want the internal voice that they hear, their father's voice over their heart and mind. I long for our little ones to go, oh, my father delights in me, and he tells me frequently. Parent like that. And even as I say it, what I know happens in a room like this is some of us feel the dull ache of realizing we've waited our whole lives and we've never heard that. Many of us have dads like, all I ever wanted is my dad to say something like that to me, and he never has. Hear this good news. If you are in Jesus today, the creator God of the universe's word over your life as an adopted child by virtue of what Jesus has accomplished is the very same. He speaks it over you and me as surely as he speaks it over his son. You are my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. Like, I delight in you, my beloved. You see, our humble submission to the completed work of God, it actually welcomes the presence of the Spirit. And it ushers in the voice of the Father over us. And in that space, the sun shines. The sun is revealed in all of his beauty in this moment with the heavens open and the Spirit coming and, and his ministry is initiated. John's going, look, it's the Lamb of God. Follow him. This is where Jesus is revealed initially. And interestingly, in his revelation, in this initial moment, he is securing Trinitarian celebration. But do you know that this is just the first step in a long journey for Jesus? His ministry is initiated in the waters surrounded by sinners, and it's culminated on the cross surrounded by thieves. That he doesn't just dip his toes in this water. He plunges so fully in, saying, I am so associated with these people that their sin actually is heaped on me, and so much so that at the conclusion, it is actually the forfeiting of the Trinitarian celebration, not the securing of it. His willingness to identify with you and with me so that we could have the word of the Father over our lives was so deep that in the moment where he was bleeding and dying, totally exposed, the Father did not bless him in the way that he had perpetually for eternity. He turned his face away. And the comfort of the Spirit, like a dove backing out, of the, like the Son is alone. And he's alone in such a stark and a painful way so that you and I will never have to be. In this moment, as he pays the price for the weight of sin and rebellion that you and I have accrued to our account, in this moment, as he pays it, what he is saying is, I am paving the way so that you can have the divine blessing 
the delight of God, Trinitarian celebration over your life because I will pay the price for your sin. And as you humbly submit to me, (laughs) the Spirit will fall. The Father's voice will be on you. And you will walk with me as a brother, as a sister, as a friend for life. You see, and it's when we experience that, that sort of affirmation, when all of a sudden every morning we can peel away to the secret place and have the, vo- the Father's voice say, oh, I delight in you. I love you. You have a perfect account with me. You know what ends up happening? We can quit thinking about our shoes. I don't have to be in my head. I don't have to show up everywhere and go, what do they all think of me? Because the truth is, once we have his affirmation, we're free. We're loved. We can finally step into the joys of self-forgetfulness, of humble submission, of just showing up in spaces and saying, I'm here for the good of others. I'm going to experience what life was finally meant to be because in this humility, as I'm invited to live into it, I now have the power and the gospel to do so. And what I will experience is his promise that he will exalt the humble, that he will bless and fill you up in ways that you never thought possible once you are finally laid low and can quit thinking about yourself. You see, as we humbly submit to God's calling, we unlock, we unlock Trinitarian celebration and we are set free. Oh, that God would make it true for us as a body, that we would live like that. Let me pray for us. Ooh. So gracious God and Father, we, we first, would you just admit in the secret place your sin, your pride, your commitment to self that oftentimes prevents you from stepping up or from being laid low, that you actually resist both ends so frequently because you're so in your own head, would you just lay that down before God and would you listen to him in Jesus, speaking over you his delight? Would you receive it in the secret place as you lay that down? Ah, to my non-Christian friends who are here with us, would you, in the secret, in this moment, would you talk to God? Maybe you've struggled to believe in him. I've got great news for you. Even if you've struggled to believe in him, he believes in you. He knows you. He loves you. He's available to you. Would you humbly submit to him? Confess your need for him that you are a sinner and you need a covering. Invite him to cover you and experience the love of the Father, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you come to him? It's as simple as admitting that you're a sinner and believing that he's a savior and confessing him as your Lord. God, would you make it true that we're our family totally and humbly submitted to your hand? We want you and all of you. We want your celebration and your delight and we are willing to be laid low before you as we receive it freely from your hand. Would you make it true that we're a family that operates in the fullness of your blessing and your presence as we humbly submit to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.